Hello and welcome to episode 152 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. Today we head into the murky world of blackmail. And if we didn't know this already, we see once again that even those members of our society supposed to be beyond reproach, politicians, or in this case, the judiciary, suffer the same human frailties and weaknesses as the rest of us. I'm delighted that the show this week is sponsored by HelloFresh. Have you tried it yet? HelloFresh is the UK's leading recipe box service, delivering fresh pre-portioned ingredients and step-by-step recipes to your door. It's the easy, convenient way to cook delicious dinners from scratch every time. Choose your favourites from 19 recipes every week, including rapid recipes, ready in 20 minutes or less, family favourites, British and world cuisine, and even a balanced low-calorie range. And because all their fresh ingredients come direct from their suppliers, pre-portioned for you, there's no food waste. Do you cook a variety of food at home? The average household has six recipes that they stick to. Does this sound like you? If so, HelloFresh will help get you out of your cooking rut with 19 recipes to choose from every week and step-by-step tried and tested recipes, which will always turn out great. It really is that easy and delicious. Enjoy delicious moments with HelloFresh. Head to hellofresh.co.uk, choose a box, a delivery slot and add your favourite recipes. Discover the easy way to delicious dinners from scratch. HelloFresh are offering my listeners an amazing £60 off four boxes. Just visit www.hellofresh.co.uk and use the promo code TRUECRIME. That's right, HelloFresh will give you £60 off four boxes. Just visit www.hellofresh.co.uk and use the code TRUECRIME. As always, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon but especially to this week's new members of this special club. That's Nick D, Sarah Dakin, and Bob, Bobberty Bob. (laughs) What a great name. Thank you all so much for joining us. I really, really, really appreciate your support. Let's briefly set some context for today's story by taking a look at the music we were listening to when the arrest took place for today's story. 25th of October, 2005. In the UK charts, the number one position was held by the Arctic Monkeys with I Bet That You Look Good on the Dance Floor. And before you ask, yes, I guess I do. In the US, the top spot was held for 10 weeks by Kenya West and Jamie Foxx with Gold Digger, one to play on repeat in the car for those of you with young children. Top album this week in Australia was Shannon Knoll with Lift. In the news this month, Angela Merkel became Chancellor of Germany. Fernando Alonso won in China to become the first Spanish Formula One champion. One for my newlywed F1 fan on Twitter. Saddam Hussein went on trial in Baghdad for crimes against humanity. And bombings in Delhi killed more than 60 people. In the UK, the first park run, described as the Bushy Park time trial, took place in Bushy Park, London. And in Portsmouth, the city where I was born, the landmark Spinnaker Tower opened. Strangely, there was no plaque commemorating my work. And yet in the same city, Charles Dickens gets one. Bizarre, isn't it? Today's story is from North London. 
Earlier this year, you'll probably have heard about 41-year-old Main Drizza, who in a three-year period killed five people across Europe, including a man in North London in 1999. Drizza was nicknamed Tony Montana after the Scarface film. Not the sort of bloke whose pint you wanted to spill in the pub. He was sentenced to 20 years at the Old Bailey in April 2019 after being convicted of the murder of his friend, Stefan Bleder Bone, in Wembley in 1999. Drizzle was beside himself with rage when his flatmate took his wedding ring and gave it to his partner. He then attacked Stefan with a pickaxe handle, a lock knife and a cheese knife, leaving him in such a terrible state that when Stefan's pregnant girlfriend found the lifeless body, she could only identify him by a distinctive belt buckle. Main Drizza had arrived in the UK in August 1997 under false pretenses. Though Albanian, he said that he was called Sokol Drenova and was escaping from the conflict in Kosovo. When in the UK, he met a Brazilian lady called Rosaline, who he married, and whose ring led to this murder. Speaking to top journalist and friend of the show, Chris Summers from Sputnik News, earlier this year, she told how she first met her husband in a nightclub, saying, He's very polite and kind and so in love with me. But after we got married, he became strange and started going out alone with that man who he killed. He told me he killed that friend because of our wedding ring. I'm very lucky to be alive. Maybe we will return to Main Drizza in another episode of the podcast. But today, let's concentrate on the less violent, but still extraordinary story of Main Drizza's wife, Rosaline. Rosaline came to Britain in 1998 in her mid-20s, looking for opportunity and excitement. Attractive, vivacious and full of charm and charisma, she was initially on a tourist visa, which she then transferred to a student visa. During this time, she did a range of jobs to keep the bills ticking over, as so many do. After her visas had expired in August 1999, she applied for leave to remain, but was refused. She spent the following three years appealing against this decision, but with the UK's creaking bureaucracy, this wasn't a particular concern. One of the easier ways of making cash in hand without having to trouble the tax authorities was through cleaning and this is what Rosaline did. One advert she responded to in October 1999 was for someone later known as Miss J, who unbeknown to Rosaline was a judge. And Rosaline did a great job for her, which led Miss J to recommend her services to a very good friend of hers, another judge, Ilias Khan. Ilias was originally from Kenya, but he came to the UK in 1965 with his parents, and his heart was already set on becoming a lawyer. This was mainly due to his experiences at school in Nairobi, where he'd watched a case at the High Court where a man was due to hang for murder and was appealing against his conviction. The man lost the case, but what Elias had seen would stay with him forever. He later told the Telegraph newspaper, I loved the theatre of the courtroom. I knew then that I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to read for the bar. His parents weren't well off and his dad, who worked in an office at Chatham Dockyard, couldn't afford all the costs of training for law. So after getting his A-levels and becoming a trainee barrister, Ilias worked hard to self-fund his dream. He said, 
In the summer, I worked in a metal box factory in Rochester that made aerosol cans. In winter, I worked for the Royal Mail, delivering Christmas Post. I also worked on hop farms. He qualified in 1968 and in 1972 took part in an arranged marriage in Kenya, marrying his wife Antol, with whom he had two children. Eventually I got tenancy in chambers in Birmingham after five years of qualifying, he said. I did a bit of immigration work and worked at the bar, and then saw an advertisement for part-time immigration adjudicators. That was in 1983. I thought that immigration was another area where I could contribute something, he said. There weren't many adjudicators from ethnic backgrounds. And in 1992, success. He was made an immigration adjudicator near Heathrow and later moved to Islington in North London. He was now a judge, part of the establishment, and unless he screwed up in a major way, he was set for life. But unfortunately for Ilias, he somehow managed to screw it up in a major, major way. In 1994, he met Miss J, the judge who employed Rosalind Drizzer as a cleaner. They met at a training conference organised by the Department for Constitutional Affairs. The relationship quickly became serious and Ilias broke the news to his wife that he had met somebody else and he soon moved in with Miss J in her North London home. But all was not champagne and roses and the romantic candlelit dinners discussing the finer points of immigration policy were not able to keep the spark alive. Difficult as that is to believe. And by 2000, the affair was over and the couple lived separately again. In his new North London flat, Ilias also employed Rosaline as a cleaner. But in the summer of 2004, after accusing her of becoming too intrusive in her personal life, Miss J sacked Rosaline as her cleaner and a week later Ilias did the same. Rosaline was really upset that Miss J had sacked her over the phone after so many years with no explanation. When she phoned back to ask why, Rosaline claimed that the judge flew into a rage and screamed abuse at her. She told friends, she said she did not have to answer to me because she was a judge and I was just a cleaning lady. Like so many relationships, Ilias's split with Miss J was not clean cut and there were lingering feelings, jealousies and resentment remaining. All those issues that so many of us fail to bottom out when a relationship ends. I bet you recognise that too. And one day, Miss J let herself into Ilias's flat to find, to her astonishment, the judge in the bedroom with Rosaline. And they weren't just changing the pillowcases. It was a huge shock to all three of them. Miss J was livid at this discovery and she became so jealous that she demanded he end all relations with Rosaline. She was pretty appalled that I'd lied to her, he later said, an understatement. But this wasn't just a one-off moment of passion. Ilias and Rosaline's affair lasted over a year, and she lived in his house rent-free during that period. He told friends he wanted to end the relationship, and for Rosaline to leave his home, but things aren't always so clear-cut. In fact, it all got very tricky for Ilias, especially when Rosaline discovered his homemade sex tapes. One with him and an unknown blonde woman, and one with him 
and Miss J, allegedly with cocaine involved. Ilias knew this was a potentially very difficult situation, and the judge sought legal advice on how he might remove her from his flat in Highgate. He told friends it was all very difficult for him, saying, She was bloody squatting. I was told I couldn't throw her out because that would be harassment. I didn't want to ask for an injunction because I thought that would hit the newspapers and she would tell her story. She told me she wouldn't go. She said that if I tried to do anything, she would go to the Lord Chancellor's Department to make a complaint against Miss J and against me. She said she would report Miss J to the department for employing her, although she was an illegal in the country. She said she had gone to the Commons and delivered letters to the Prime Minister and the Home Secretary. She also mentioned the press. I was scared that she would tell my superiors. As far as I was concerned, I'd done nothing wrong. But one didn't want something like that on record. Things came to a head in October 2005, when the police turned up at Ilias's flat and arrested Rosaline on suspicion of blackmail, for which she would later face trial. Rosaline was shocked, Ilias relieved, to an extent, as was Miss J. They all knew that the court case wasn't going to leave any of them smelling of roses, and it certainly didn't. But for us true crime fans reading the daily accounts, it was both sad and, of course, utterly hilarious. Rosaline told the court that she'd written a letter to Miss J asking for £20,000 compensation for unfair dismissal, and that the figure had been suggested by Ilias when she'd asked him for his advice. When asked what the compensation was for, Rosaline denied it was blackmail for threatening to release the sex tapes or reporting the immigration judges for employing someone unable to work legally in the UK, saying instead it was, for the way I was dismissed, because I thought it was wrong, for racism and discrimination, for their distress of all the calling names and bad words, for psychological damage, everything. She said she was a judge and I was only the cleaning lady. When you're abused verbally, there's no money that can pay for that, because these things will be in my mind always. I worked for several people, and she was the only one who had a problem with me. Ilias said 20k was more than fair. At that time I took his suggestion, because I always listened to him. If I had to ask her about his opinion, I don't think it would have been less than £100,000, because there's no price to what she had done to me. The details of the relationship between Ilias and Rosaline all came out and was perfect fodder for the tabloid press. Although Ilias insisted that Rosaline had thrown herself at him and they rarely had sex, the emails he sent to her seemed to suggest it was very much a two-way thing. Of course, as serious true crime fans, we aren't interested in the salacious details. But, as you insist, let's just take a quick look at some of the details from his emails. Here goes. Hi my love, I do not know when you will access this email, but I will send it to you anyway. Thank you for a very lovely evening. You were looking so beautiful. Jay has every reason to be jealous, but we will not go on about that. It's a pity I can't see you during weekdays, but I'll see you on Saturday and I will teach you how to cook a curry. And the next one. Darling, You'll probably get this tomorrow, 
after he spent an evening in passionate kisses. I was right about wanting to go with you when I first saw you. You must admit you were a bit cool. You are real chilly hot stuff. I love you very much. And the next and final one for all you romantics out there. You are a lovely shag. Miss you already. Thanks for the lovely pee, which apparently refers to sex. It was delicious. And who said romance was dead? Talking about the videos in court, Rosaline said that she felt betrayed, jealous and angry when she found the first video of Ilias in bed of a blonde woman. She found the second video showing Ilias with Miss J on his shelf a few weeks later. She said that she destroyed both sex videos after her arrest. What I saw in the video made me frightened, she said. It seemed to me that she was using cocaine and he was close to her. I asked him whether what I thought I saw was what I had seen. He said the cassette wasn't made here. It was made in Thailand and there weren't any problems with that over there. Miss J had previously denied taking cocaine. Rosaline went on to claim that after several arguments, Ilias allowed her to keep the video as long as she did not show it to anybody. Hmm. <laughs> Sex tape is your ex. <laughs> not number one on my list either. Ilias admitted that he continued living with and having sex with Rosaline until her arrest for blackmail. <laughs> Sorry, I can't get over that. Sex tape of your ex. Why? Why, why, why? Francis Oldham QC Defending said, You were using her as cheap labour with whom you could enjoy a sexual relationship, weren't you? Ilias replied, Yes, we were in a relationship and we had sex. Taking the stand, Ilias described the relationship to the old Bailey as a stupid mistake for which he was still paying. She lived in my flat and we had sex, but there was no relationship as such, he said. I was vulnerable and I was lonely. In summing up, his QC said, It needs little emphasis that blackmail develops and thrives where there is human vulnerability and weakness. It does not flourish among angels and saints. It takes root where flesh and blood people, including judges, decidedly call from grace and err. This allegation is not an appeal for sympathy for Miss Jane Ilias. Each of them, you may think, got themselves into very uncomfortable situations with the defendant. The QC told jurors in his summing up that Judge Jay had not made strict enough checks when employing Rosaline as her cleaner. She became vulnerable in the process, he said. And Ilias, with a passion that a man many years younger might have been proud of, became, in his words, a complete and total puppy of the defendant. When they returned, the jury found Rosaline Dreeser innocent of blackmailing Ilias Khan, but guilty of blackmailing Miss J and stealing the videos. In October 2006, Rosaline was jailed for 33 months for stealing the explicit videos from Judge Khan and blackmailing Miss J. Outside court, Ilya said the following, I deeply, deeply regret the very fundamental error of judgments that I made with Rosaline, believing her when she said that she was legal and not realising that she was such a devious woman. Judges are human beings. They also make mistakes. I've made a mistake in judging her character. In my work, I do not make character judgments. He told the press he was currently staying with friends 
and had taken some leave from work. I want to save my job, he said. I still think that I have something to contribute. My friends will tell you I'm a fair man. I've been a judge for a very long time. And Ilyas Khan did in fact keep his job. But the publicity and internal inquiries, which revealed his poor judgment, meant that though he remained on full sick pay, he never again worked as an immigration judge, with the taxpayer picking up his 300k plus of salary. But in November 2009, just one day after his retirement, Ilyas Khan died, aged 64. And Judge Jay, who was on a salary of almost 120000 received an estimated £205,000 in pay during the 18 months she was off sick before the trial. She retired on grounds of ill health on December 31st, 2006 and received a medical pension. And what of Rosaline? Well, she is now back in Brazil, where she works as an investigative journalist. And if you ever wanted to catch up on what she's up to, you can find her on Twitter with the following Twitter name, at Chili Hot Staff. So what do you make of what we've heard today? The events we've covered certainly ruin the careers of the two judges, but I would suggest it's hard to have too much sympathy for them. Is that a little harsh? And am I negative about judges? As I think in their entitled, mollycoddled environment, there are no excuses for falling into the trap that both did in today's story. Or are you more of the view that all of us as humans have the same insecurities, fallibilities, wants and desires? And the events of today's story are repeated across the UK, all across different levels, different jobs, different societies, on a daily basis. Believe away. There's some basic things I think we can take from the story. Probably best to always make basic checks on any staff you employ. And if you are fond of a bit of home recording in the UK or Thailand, at least encrypt your material. As they do in Rochdale, apparently. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK true crime, please head over to the Facebook group where you'll be made very, very welcome. And to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UK true crime. You'll find 35 full-length bonus episodes and other exclusive information there. Plus, you'll get that lovely warm feeling you can only get by helping out the best-looking guy in true crime. What is it that Mike Boudet from sword and scale calls himself it's the murder daddy or something isn't it well think of me as more like the shane mcgowan of true crime podcasts if you like so that is all from me for today i'm off to delete a couple of videos just to be on the safe side so until next week it's cheerio have a good one and remember be wary of men and women in wigs working ridiculously short working days they are just the same as the rest of us Anyway. As the defendant might say to the judge, stay classy.